Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, it's Nikki, and we're continuing our special sub-series with our People Forward Network partners, Performa. Check the show notes to learn more about them. Such a great team doing great work to impact people-first workplaces. Our sub-series is called Designing the Purpose-Driven Workplace, and today we're digging into two pivotal leadership skills, surrendering control and empowerment. Surrendering control and then empowerment. My co-host for today's episode is Brian Netzel, Principal and Director of Design at Performa. He and the team at Performa have picked some incredible leaders for this sub-series to talk with us, and I'm going to let Brian introduce today's guest. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, we're back with our special sub-series, Designing the Purpose-Driven Workplace. And I have my host partner, Brian Netzel, Principal and Director of Design with me. Brian, I'd love for you to introduce our guest, who is one of the most inspirational leaders in your life. So who could do a better intro? Definitely not me. It's definitely all you. Brian, take it away. Thanks, Nikki. I love to welcome Christopher Howell, CEO of Tweet Garrett, located right here in De Pere, Wisconsin. Garrett is one of the largest mechanical contractors in our state. And why I wanted to talk to Christopher is and why he inspires me uh, and everyone at Performa as one of our clients is Christopher's come up uh, from a fourth generation uh, construction contractor. And I know through many, many stories that he and I have engaged in just what, what that means. I mean, fourth generations. I've been doing this for many, many years, and I've gotten to witness a lot of the families that have been part of that company. So, for example, there's a Tom Brauner over there, and there's a Mike Sturdivant, and there's and there's Tim Howell, Christopher's father. And all of those people have impacted me personally in my career here at Performa. And then, you know, Christopher's relatively new, so has been an inspiration to me and, and uh, uh, us at Performa. And, just really looking forward to having a conversation with him today. Thanks, Brian. Wow. So Chris, in leading a fourth generation business, we have lots to learn from you. Let's start with what's your greatest lesson learned from past leadership? So previous leadership or leadership experiences you've had in your life that helped you to mold your style? I would say, I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is that the business is bigger than myself, right? It's really bigger than any individual for, for a business to have lasted a hundred plus years. It, it sort of has to be. So I don't really see myself as the owner of this business, as the just de facto leader of the business. I see myself more as a steward. And I just sort of carry that with me sort of as a guiding principle that I need to leave this place in a better spot than I found it. And it, it makes me think of my predecessors, my father, my grandfather, all the great people and families. There's a lot of, not just we're a family business in the sense that it's passed generationally through my family, but it's also passed. There's a lot of families that have worked at Tweet Garrett, fathers, sons, grandfathers. And I think that's something that we all hold a special place for. And I promise that this next question isn't to pick on anyone, but it's more for an awareness opportunity. What does it look like when a leader doesn't get the concept, if you will, that a business is bigger than myself? It's just what your mentality is. So my mentality is that 
I don't need to be involved in every decision. I don't need to be in every meeting. There are things that I'm not the best person to be making a decision you know, around, right? So it's part of it is empowering others to take on more space, to take up more space, to take on larger roles and to shrink a little bit because I don't want this to be about me. I'm not, I am literally not the person that should be making some of the decisions that we have on a day-to-day basis. And I have a lot of trust and faith in the people here that are much more qualified to do it than me. And I just need to give them, I just need to make them feel empowered to make those decisions. So let's go deeper on the, I don't need to be in every decision and the keyword empowerment. Talk to us about what it really means to empower team members. Well, I think the best way to empower team members is just to really be present and to listen and to make people feel heard. You know, let the people who are doing the work give input into the things that affect their day-to-day jobs. I don't, I personally don't have a background in construction. I was an attorney for 10 years in California and I've, I've worked in other businesses and I came back to the family business because it was important for me and it was important for the business to have continuity, but I don't hide the fact that I'm not a construction expert. And when I first started, that was really hard. When I first started, I wanted to learn it all. You know, I didn't want people to sort of see through me that I didn't know all the intricacies of what we were doing. Now I sort of wear it as a badge of honor. And I just ask when I'm on job sites or when I'm talking to our teams, I ask really open-ended questions because they're proud of what they're doing and they want to share it with me. And the more that I can be present with them and listen, make them feel heard, you know, I think the more empowered that they end up feeling. We're going to come right back to listening because listening as a skill for leadership comes up all the time on the show. And I want to dig in on a little bit. I want to dig in on that a little bit more. But when you think of the mindset that you have and sharing that you show up as you are, not that you are a construction expert, but you bring your strengths and um, skill sets to the team and you're very transparent about where your limitations are and what you know and all of that. Again, this is not to pick on anyone, but to really just hone in on those of us that might have a different take on this, but might want to shift it. Why do you think leaders posture many times? Because many times leaders do feeling like, well, I'd have to know the stats on this and I'd have to have like a resume in this. Why do you think that come from exists? I think a lot of leaders fell fell or into or earned leadership positions this is a generalization across all business. I think a lot of leaders landed in leadership positions based on being really good at whatever the task or role or responsibility that they were in. And that typically meant they had good control, right? They were micromanagers. They were in control of everything. They knew every detail about every aspect of their job. And when you get into the, a leadership position beyond that, your first tendency is to continue doing the things that got you there. When the first rule of leadership is actually the exact opposite. It's you need to forget about all those things that got you there. And you need to start thinking about how can you get others to make some of the same decisions or to build the same habits that you made when you were in your role. So it becomes this shift. And we see it as we're developing leaders here all the time that we have to sort of once they've elevated into a leadership role to sort of help them ease or pump the brakes a little bit on their natural tendencies and start getting them to think about, okay, 
this needs to be, you can't be reacting to this. You don't need to be solving every problem. We need to be working with your team to start looking at things the way that you would have looked at at them when you were in that role. And I said, we were going to come back to listening as you hit on that as a needed skill to empower people. Can you share your uniqueness in the way that you view listening? Sure. And I've had to, I honestly, I've needed a lot of work here um, because as a, you know, through my years as an attorney, I don't always listen. I'm always like thinking about my reaction. And so I think the first, for me, the first rule of listening is just not reacting. It's being very present and kind of mindful of what, like of the moment. I, for years, what I started listening and then I started reacting before someone was even finished speaking because I was going to be defensive or I was going to be counter arguing. And that doesn't work in leadership. It works in the courtroom, but it doesn't work in leadership. So I now try really hard to just sort of not react, assume positive intent, because I don't want to react emotionally either. I know that there's likely two sides to every story and I have to sort of be really neutral. And and then the other side of it is not problem solve. I had a tendency earlier in my leadership journey just to always want to be using my brain and jumping in front of things and problem solving because I, I just have a natural tendency to want to solve problems, but that's not what our business needs, right? Our, our business needs, I, I can help and I can, or I could direct people, but I don't need to be jumping in and problem solving. And once our team started to see that I was no longer going to be reacting or problem solving, I think I became more approachable. And as I became more approachable, I continued to sort of get better as a listener. Let's go back to control and particularly surrendering control. How did this become a big focus for you? It's been an evolution. I think I had pretty tight tight grips on things when I first started as CEO, but I realized my limitations. A lot of it is through self-awareness, right? I, I really have been working on myself and gaining more self-awareness. And the things I could do to help us grow, I was the limitation if I wanted to, to be to continue to maintain tight control on the organization, and if I needed all the decisions to sort of flow up through me and then cascade down. And so as I became more aware of that limitation, I started to see other people were ready for more. And I started, you know, we started building trust and we started formalizing roles and responsibilities through you know, we've created a lot of great process and you know, we've created a lot of great standards and metrics and things that I don't need to know everything that's going on, but on a weekly basis, I can get, you know, updates and that makes me feel comfortable. And I think our team feels like I'm not going to be involved in every decision or over their shoulder for every decision that they're making on a day-to-day basis. So, it has it has absolutely been an evolution and and my role now continues to shift right i think ceos often think that this is my job or this is in my my job responsibility i've continued to tweak because i've worn different ceo hats when i when i was a new ceo and we were you know smaller as a business that hat looked differently during the pandemic that hat looked differently now 
we're hopefully at least through some of the really the trying times of the pandemic and my hat again looks different and I'm focusing on strategy and culture and being on job sites and thanking people and interacting with customers and making us feel like we're all aligned and I'm focusing on communicating better. Those are different than when I I first started and I wanted to know every job we were bidding and how many jobs were in our backlog and what our margins were. Like we've established sort of precedent and process around a lot of that. So I'm very comfortable that things are happening the way that I would like them to happen. And I and people have autonomy to perfect them and make them better. And and if there's an issue with a process, we have a saying here, we attack the, the process, not the person. And so then I know people will be focused on making the process better. And we just create this loop of where you know, we're always learning as an organization. And if we have this culture where we're always learning, then I don't need to be as involved because people will be making it better all by themselves. Great uh, finale to that topic there is, you know, when we're investing in that learning and development, we're always growing and always learning and we need to trust that process, right? And by the way, when we hire great people, we should trust them to take ownership of their goals and roles. And this should give us more space to be a CEO or an executive, let alone lessen the stress. And that space that we get should give us time for what most leaders say that they wish they had time for, which is like relationship deposits and really investing in just time spent with their people and recognizing them. So this is so good. This is really good. And I think a key takeaway that I'm hearing is like one part is surrender control. And the other part that you just shared, Chris, is that you're constantly tweaking it. You're constantly learning. It's not like, oh, I learned to surrender control and I just do that. Like you're just, you're looking always for how do I sharpen that, which I think is a practice everywhere in leadership, but just a reminder for the surrendering control thing, right? As a yearly goal, a couple of years ago, I wanted to have coffee with everyone in our business. We have around 800 employees. And so I ask at the end or the middle of every one of those sessions, how can I be better? How can I help you do your job better? And that's not because I want to be involved in what they're doing. It's because I want their feedback, right? I, I like almost obsess over feedback and not in a, not, not in a negative way, but in an attempt for me to continue to gain awareness as to where I can be impactful how I can add value and to offer things to them like that they might not think a CEO would normally do. Like, hey, you want me to come to a customer site and just shake hands with people and just say thank you? Like that, I, that would be wonderful for me because I think, and, and it probably is more valuable than me sitting in a conference room and obsessing over, you know, strategy or, you know, an org chart or something that I may have done historically. Let's talk about your partnership with Performa and how space has impacted collaboration at Tweet Garrett. I think we aligned really well and really early with Performa when we started working with them because we both kind of ascribed to the same philosophy, which is if you treat your employees well and sort of put them first, that they'll treat their customers, your customers well. And we were in a space where it was really hard to collaborate. And, you know, we wanted to try to create an environment where people were happy and where they do the best work of their lives. And Performa really helped us think about collaboration and the space that we had differently. We were 
in the middle of our lean journey, when we engaged with Performa as we were set to sort of expand into a new a, a, a new office space, and they sort of helped us take collaboration to a different level. And they wanted to know how our teams interact, how we make decisions, how we communicate, and they really helped us build that into our space. Now, innovation. Share an example of how you've seen your space fuel innovation at TweetGarrett. In our old office space, it, we typically, you know, during some of our lean journey, for example, we would want to do report outs, right? So if we had core team, if we had sessions where they were going to report on, say, value stream mapping session or a work breakdown session or a, a two-week sprint, you know, we would have to gather everybody from all across. We sort of had this office that was connected to our shop and we had people working all over the place. Someone would kind of have to walk around and gather everybody up and then we do a report out. And that report out was always really energizing for people, but it was hard to get everybody jammed into a conference room. And we now have all of these, we have all these collaboration spaces and we have process maps up on the wall where we can literally just gather people within an instant. We can get 50, 60 people gathered so that we can all report on the progress that we're making around some of our operational objectives. So that's one really good example is we do like a weekly sprint and we just want to get everybody and communicate to everybody these small wins. We're able to just have everybody up from their workstations, look at the board, look at the scrum board, and we're off, right? And then we're back in a few more minutes. And that would have taken, I mean, it's just a very different process, a lot more energizing. People feel more informed. That's just one really quick example of, of a place where our space has helped us be more innovative. One other question I just thought of during the process of designing your space and elevating it, was there anything that you chose to do that you were surprised at the outcome? Like you, when you originally were talking about it and the idea came up and then you guys ended up doing it, like you never thought it would really be that tipping point or that game changer that it was. Is there anything that like stands out? For us and in, in Performa definitely helped us with this is that we have no offices and everyone here has a workstation, including me, including our executive team, including my dad, our, who's still our chairman, who's probably had an office for the last, you know, 35 or 40 years prior to moving into this space. And we did that for a couple of reasons. The first and foremost, it was around collaboration. You know, we wanted to literally and figuratively break down some of the walls between teams, between places that maybe had historically been siloed and, and secondarily, we just wanted to show that like everybody, we're treating everybody the same. Everybody is going to have the exact same style of workstation and everybody is, there's not going to just be three or four people that have offices and everybody else has workstations. So we wanted it, we wanted everybody to feel like we were treating everyone the same. Brian, it's back to you. You've got a big question for Chris, so I'll let you take it back. Christopher, what is the most profound or purposeful decision you've made in your leadership journey to impact your current workplace? I would say hiring of our chief operating officer, Hope Voigt. She is real. I sort of say that she's sort of the glue that holds everything together. And a lot of what we talked about earlier of me relinquishing control is because I have such a strong operational leader in Hope. And, you know, she doesn't come historically from the construction trade either. She's 
you know, a CPA and an MBA. And she has this wonderful ability to really get a lot of people aligned and on the same page. And so as, as I can shift to focusing on really large strategy and thinking five and 10 years out, which is where I get the most amount of energy. And then secondarily spend time, you know, with our customers and on job sites and and really working on culture and communication. I have 100% confidence that Hope is leading the operational side of the business better than I could ever do. So there were a lot of people that were wondering why, why did you make that decision at the time? Because Hope was sort of on a path to be our CFO or, or to stay, you know, because of her financial background and how strong she was there. But I and others and other leaders before me just saw so much potential in her to run operations. And it has worked out so much better than anybody would have thought. And I absolutely is the most important decision that I made. Kudos to Hope. Big shout out. Keep up the great work, lady. That's awesome. So I've loved this conversation, guys. We're going to take a quick break here from our sponsor message today, and we'll be right back where Brian and I are going to team up on our lightning round, where we'll get to learn a little bit more about the personal side of Chris. We'll be right back. Gut Plus Science has just joined the People Forward Network. Gut Plus Science has been on a journey for three and a half years, and we got inspired to create a global podcast network that captures the most incredible efforts of people-first leaders and humans working on a meaningful mission. We believe that the workplace is the largest mission field for change, and the People Forward Network is the largest community of humans on a shared journey to live life full of meaning. We'd love for you to join the People Forward Network. There are all kinds of new shows and existing shows coming together under one umbrella to bring you the best content as a community on a mission. Can't wait for you to join us. See the link to peopleforwardnetwork.com in the show notes. Hey, it's Nikki back on Gut Plus Science, and we're to our lightning round. Really excited here with Chris Howell and Brian Netzel, and uh, we're going to tag team Brian and I as the hosts uh, our questions to learn a little bit more about Chris. These are always fun. So Brian, I'll let you take the first one. Christopher, what is your favorite hobby when you are not working? Anything outside, just being outside in general, hiking or golfing would be at the top of my list. How about a favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read? So most influential would probably be The Fountainhead. The book I've read the most, I'd probably say Catch-22. I can go back to that one for a good laugh anytime. I'd say recently and, and maybe for your listeners, a leadership book that I don't think gets enough credit is it's called Mind of a Leader. It sort of talks about mindfulness, selflessness, compassion in leadership. And I, I think it's one of the best books on leadership I've ever read. Christopher, what is your favorite vacation spot? My wife and I keep going back to this small city in Mexico um, called Tulum. We've been there a number of times. We just can't stop going back. It's wonderful. I think favorite vacation of all time is New Zealand. Chris, how can our listeners connect with you after the show today? I'd love to hear from listeners, probably email or LinkedIn. My email is just chris.howald at tweetgarrett.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. I try to avoid other social medias. I haven't really proven to myself that I can do it well. So I've shrinked from that a little bit, but happy to connect. All right. Great pick, Performa team. We learned so much from Chris today. And here's my truth you can act on from Chris Howell. 
All right. So surrendering control. It's about actively working and tweaking this to be aware of where we need to let go and empower. So making it at a concentrated effort and being aware and just tweaking and actively working to get better, building a muscle. Uh, Number two, the first rule of listening is not reacting. Active listening is listening without crafting a response during the time while the other person's talking. Great thing to be aware of. Number three, focus on treating your people well and see how they care for your people. I loved it. And number four, question, does your workspace help you pour into your people? How could you do that better? Maybe Performer can help. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.